Psalm 88. Starting in verse 1. It says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before Thee. Let my prayer come before Thee. Incline Thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Now rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thine hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves, Selah. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction, Lord. I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee, Selah? Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark, and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me, thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water, they compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me, and mine acquaintance into darkness. So Psalm 88, it's a very unique psalm from the standpoint of there is absolutely no resolve in this psalm. It is the saddest psalm, or really the saddest portion of Scripture as far as portions go. The psalmist begins in desperation and in uh, with a troubled soul, uh, and he ends by saying, my only friend is darkness. It's a very sad psalm. It's a very low psalm as far as the psalms are concerned title the the psalm just walking through the darkness walking through the darkness the psalm is a it's pretty sobering and it really does cut through what we've said you know time and time again as we come to the lament psalms and a lament psalm is not a it's not a unique thing we have uh, had several of those and each time we come to them, we just point out once again how shallow and how unbiblical the idea is that somebody could be too blessed to be stressed or too blessed to be depressed or any of the other silly things that people like to say that they think make them sound spiritual, but it really exposes the fact that they're not reading the Psalms or a lot of other scripture for that matter. In the Christian life, we go through, or maybe I should say it is not abnormal to go through prolonged periods of darkness they can be it can be called different things you might call it a season of suffering you might call it a season of depression you might call it a season of despair you can call it all kinds of things 
But this is a category that our world as a whole really doesn't know what to do with. It's certainly a category that the quote-unquote Christian world doesn't know what to do with. Because it's uncomfortable. And really, it's inconvenient. And it's not a feel-good message. I mean, this, you know, Psalm 88 doesn't belong in the health, wealth, and prosperity kind of gospel, does it? Because the psalmist is pouring his heart out. The psalmist is looking for relief. He tells us this is not just something that happened yesterday. He's been praying since he was a youth until now. This is a prolonged season where he has found no strength, no comfort, no answers. And so while it might be an uncomfortable reality, if you're looking to live a life that fits in a nice, neat box that has a bow on top, it is very consistent with real life. Christians have been going through these kinds of seasons from the very beginning. One of the problems in the superficial age that we live in is many of them just don't talk about it. Okay, the truth is you probably know more than you think you do of people who have gone through what they would describe as prolonged seasons of dark struggles and depression. So let's look at the psalm. It's a, it's a psalm that, uh, again, you're, you're probably not going to go to Psalm 88 if you're looking for something to cheer you up. But if you're looking for what it looks like to walk through a dark season in faith, Psalm 88 is a good psalm to go to. While there's no resolve at the end, um, this is a, this is a, again, we'll remind you, remind each other, this is a, this is a man who's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All right, so this is God breathed. He hasn't made a mistake. He hasn't misspoken. And um, rather than getting rid of doing away with or even coming out on the other side of his struggle, we see the picture of a man who is um, relentlessly pursuing God even when it seems like God isn't answering And so we see faith on display in really some of the strongest ways in this psalm. So as far as structure goes, this is a, honestly, as I was working through it, it's kind of a hard, hard psalm to, to structure because it's all, um, it's all pretty similar. Uh, it starts out in the first couple of verses with an appeal. Okay. Lord God, my salvation, I've cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry. It's a, it's a, it's the way many, many of these psalms start out. It's just the psalmist asking for God to hear. It's the psalmist crying out to the Lord for help. One of the things we'll notice about the appeal is it begins with, O Lord, all capitals, okay, Yahweh, the God who is faithful to His covenant. That's the name that the psalmist uses here. O Lord God of my salvation. So He's the covenant God. He's also the Almighty God there with the G-O-D. 
This is an indication that the, uh, that the psalmist at some point in his life has experienced the deliverance of the Lord. At some point, he's known what it meant for God to deliver him from himself, from a circumstance. He's tasted the Lord's goodness at some point because this is a very personal opening. O Lord God of my salvation. And then he says, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee, incline thine ear unto my cry. Really, it's just another way of the psalmist to say, I am continually crying out to you, and it doesn't seem like you're listening. I'm, I'm, I'm crying out day and night. That's a, that day and night is a, called a merism in, in Hebrew. It's a poetical structure that just means it's not meant to be a literal thing. It just It's an all-encompassing day and night. I'm all the time. I'm crying out to you. And it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. It doesn't seem like you hear me. Lord, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear under my cry. Now here's the question. Why would someone come to the conclusion that God is not hearing their prayer? Well, because their circumstances aren't changing, right? I mean, that's how we come to those conclusions. I'm in a very, very difficult circumstance. Very difficult situation. What we're going to see when we jump into verse 3 is we're not just talking about one problem here. But this is a this is a man who is enduring suffering. And it's a suffering of the soul. It's inward suffering that this man is, is experiencing. And, and he says, I'm 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 crying out continuously. And it's like you don't hear me. That's the appeal. Secondly, we see the complaint or the lament. Now, this is another one of those uh, basic things that we learn from the lament psalms. We say this almost every time, if not every time, we come to these laments. And that is one of the things that we find whenever it comes to complaining and pouring our heart out to the Lord is that Scripture teaches us that it is right and it is good for us to complain to God but it is sinful for us to complain about God. Now that's something that's very uncomfortable for us, but that's something we see the psalmist doing again and again and again and again. He's struggling, and rather than put on a plastic smile, he pours his heart out to the Lord in complaint. Now he's not, he's not trying to lord over God. He's not even trying to call God into account. He's just bringing his troubles and his complaints and laying them out before God. He's also bringing what he seems to think are inconsistencies. We're not very comfortable with that either. And again, we don't do this in a way that's, uh, that's self-exalting. But throughout this psalm, you'll see implied and sometimes directly stated, this doesn't make sense in relation to what I know about you. And he brings all of those 
directly to God. He doesn't try to wrestle with those inwardly all by himself. He doesn't try to pretend like the struggle's not there. He takes that struggle directly to the Lord. So look in verse 3. This is verses 3 through 9, the complaint. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I'm counted with them that go down into the pit. I'm as a man that hath no strength, free among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more. And they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness in the deeps. My wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves, Selah. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. My eye mourneth by reason of affliction, Lord. I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. So you see, even there in the closing, he's he's repeating this. He doesn't say day and night, but he just says, Lord, I've called out to you daily. I'm continually, constantly calling out to you. We begin in verse 3. The psalmist says, my soul is full of troubles. My soul is full of troubles. Anyone who's walked through a uh, prolonged season of darkness will tell you, it typically wasn't over a single problem. These troubles tend to compound, don't they? Um, Problems turn into problems, turn into problems, turn into problems. Sometimes we invent our own problems and they're just a figment of our imagination, but many times one trouble begins to multiply and it just gets to the point to where we are overwhelmed. It's heavy. We see that sort of language in verse four when he says, I count, I'm sorry, I am counted with them that go down into the grave. I am as a man that has no strength. I have no strength. I am worn out. I am exhausted. I'm depleted. You find someone who's going through a prolonged season of suffering and you find someone who many times, if it goes on long enough, is depleted of just about every sense that they have. What I mean by that is they lack strength. They lack the confidence that they're not going mentally insane because it's just such a heavy burden. They lack the confidence that they can distinguish um, reality from fantasy. And this is this is kind of David saying, I'm like someone who's 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 dead. Lord, it's like you're treating me as if I'm already in the grave. And 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 whenever David's talking about this, and, and we'll hit this a little more, or at least say it again when we get to the application side, when David talks about those who are dead or those who are in the grave, he's talking about it from the same sense that Solomon would talk about it in Ecclesiastes, life under the sun. David's not establishing a a theology for eternity or a doctrine for the afterlife here. David's saying on this side of the grave, from a human perspective, when you're dead, you lie in a box and that's about it. Okay, He's coming at it from that perspective, not from an eternal perspective. And he's saying, Lord, you're, you're treating me or it seems like you're treating me as if I'm 
dead. Matter of fact, I feel like I'm almost dead. I'm counted with those that go down into the pit as a man that has no strength. Verse 5, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more. They are cut off from thy hand. He says, it's as if I'm dead. It's as if you've forgotten about me, Lord. It's what it feels like. Verse 6, you've laid me in the lowest pit in the darkness and in the deeps. Where, Where are you? Where are you, Lord? Now, if you've never gone through a deep season of darkness, sadness, suffering, it would be very easy for you to think, I'd never ask questions like that. Don't you know what Scripture says? But if you've ever gone through a season like this, you can very quickly identify with what's going on in Psalm 88. You can very quickly identify with just how frail you can become and just how heavy and taxing suffering can be. Lord, where are you? Where are you? Verse 7, Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. It's just these waves of affliction that continue to pour upon me. To seems like I'm um, maybe getting a little relief from one, and here comes another. Or maybe it seems like one is too heavy already, and here comes another one, as if one wasn't bad enough. It's really the psalmist way of saying, when it rains, it pours. You've heard that expression, haven't you? They just keep coming. It just keeps getting worse. It just keeps getting heavier and heavier. Lord, it's one wave after the next. And then in verse 8, he says, You've put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up and I cannot come forth. He says, I'm isolated. Nobody understands my struggle. Nobody understands me. I try to articulate the troubles that are in my soul, the burdens that are on my heart, and words just aren't enough to make those make sense to those who are around me. The psalmist says here, really, no one wants to be around me. I'm isolated. I'm lonely. It's one thing for me to feel like you've forgotten me, Lord. It's another thing for me to be isolated from my companions. And then it's altogether another thing for me to understand verses 6, 7, and 8 as these things have come from your hand. You see what word each of those verses start with? Thou. You, Lord. Lord, you've put away my acquaintance. It's your wrath that lies hard upon me. Thou hast afflicted me with these waves. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in the darkness, in the deeps. 
the psalmist is acknowledging that God's sovereignty is part of what's going on in this whole thing. He he really acknowledged that a long time ago in the very opening of the psalm when he talks about the covenant loyalty of God. Oh, Lord Yahweh, God Almighty, that's El, the Almighty God, sovereignty is what that is referring to. He's saying, Lord, you've, you've orchestrated this, or at least you have, uh, all of these things have, have come, and they've come from, from you. He's not charging God with sin, but he is acknowledging God's sovereignty here. There's a purpose in this. The psalmist hasn't figured it out yet. He hasn't found comfort from that yet. But he does realize that his times are in God's hands. He does realize that the Lord is in the midst of his trouble. And so what does he do? Verse 9, My eyes, my eye mourneth by reason of affliction, Lord. I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. He's responded by crying out daily. And essentially he says, it hasn't gotten any better. So we say, make sure you don't save prayer for the last thing. Make sure that prayer is should ought to be one of the first things you do, right? And the psalmist says, it's the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh thing that I've done, and it still hasn't gotten better. The psalmist acknowledges, Lord, in your strength, you could have prevented this or you could have delivered me already and you've chosen not to. I'm crying out. I'm miserable. And I'm seeking your help. You see again how utterly ridiculous it is to have this shallow, unbiblical view that Christians ought to always be happy? Now, we said on Sunday, there's a difference between joy and happiness. You can have joy in the midst of affliction. But one of the things that we can never really lay out as a scriptural idea is that it's always due to some sort of spiritual deficiency or a lack of spiritual maturity when someone goes through a prolonged season of darkness, grief, and wrestling in their soul. Because that's what we find here in Psalm 88. So we have an appeal to God. Lord, hear me. I'm crying to you. I'm crying out for your help. We have a complaint And then we have verses 10 through 12, we have some rhetorical questions here. Verses 10 through 12. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee, Selah? Uh, Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark, and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? So I mentioned this earlier, but all of these have to do with death. I mean, he's, he's asking all of these in reference to how could you do this if you're dead? How does this happen in the grave? How does this happen in the land of forgetfulness? All these are synonyms for just being dead. And again, this is a perspective that comes from a life under the sun. 
It's not meant to be theology about the afterlife. And really, there are implied statements behind every one of these questions. Okay, These, these questions are, are built upon truths that the psalmist is trying to hold on to, or at least truths that he knows would be pleasing to the Lord. So verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 10, will you show wonders to the dead? Okay, what wonders? The word wonders there is really a, means a miracle, this wondrous work. And essentially what the psalmist is saying is, Lord, you can't deliver me if I'm dead. Right? You've shown your people wondrous works. You're the God of my salvation. I believe that you will deliver me, but you can't do that if I'm dead. Now he's, again, speaking from an earthly perspective here. Um, shall, let's see, yeah, shall the dead arise and praise thee? Again, the psalmist is saying, I can't praise you if I'm dead. Lord, I have a desire to praise you. I'd love to be able to praise you and bear witness to the fact that you've delivered me from my troubles here, but I can't do that if I'm dead. Verse 11. Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave or thy faithfulness in destruction? Again, I can't bear witness to your loving kindness or your faithfulness if I'm dead. Verse 12, shall thy wonders be known in the dark and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Again, if I'm dead, I can't tell other people who are also dead about your wonders and about your righteousness. What's he saying here? Don't miss what he's saying, because this kind of sounds weird to us that, that he would give these rhetorical questions, that these would be the implied statements behind the questions. What the psalmist is saying in Psalm 88 is I'm not simply after deliverance so that I can find relief from my circumstance. I want to bear witness to the glories of God to those who are around me. I want to be able to join the crowd of people who are bearing testimony of your faithfulness in their, in their lives, to your goodness, to your loving kindness, to your deliverances, to all these things. I want to be a vessel of praise and so, Lord, would you please deliver me before I'm dead and can't do any of that? And then verse 13 through 18. So we had an appeal. We had a complaint. We have some rhetorical questions. And then verses 13 through 18, we have some more complaint. But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer Prevent thee. The word prevent, that, that whole phrase in the morning, shall my prayer prevent thee, it just means my prayer is going to be waiting on you in the morning. I'm, 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 I'm still pursuing you. I'm still praying. I have and I will continue to cry out to you in prayer. Verse 14. Lord, why casteth thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? Why, are you, why have you rejected me, Lord? 
I continue to pray. I continue to come to you and cry out. Why is it that you've hidden your face? Why is it that you've cast off my soul? Verse 15, I'm afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. Did you catch that? His affliction is from his youth up. He's not talking about a two-day thing. He's not talking about a two-week thing, a two-month thing, a two-year thing. He's probably not even talking about a two-decade thing. This has been going on for a long time. From my youth up, while I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. Just saying, Lord, I've endured this for a long time. And it hasn't gotten easier with time. Time hasn't healed this. I haven't been able to get used to this. The difficulties are still distractions. The difficulties are still consuming. Then he ends in verse 18. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. Really, that mine acquaintance is darkness would probably be a better way to put that. Darkness is my only friend. He says, I'm isolated. And darkness is, again, my only friend. And that's how Psalm 88 ends. Now, we're not going to end there, but that's how it ends. And so you've come out on a Wednesday night. You've listened to me labor through reading and trying to make a few comments, depressing comments about a depressing psalm. And we have to acknowledge, number one, the Holy Spirit put this psalm in here for us. Now, Psalm 23, we have an easy, you know, there's a bunch of amens that come out of that. Psalm 88. We also have to acknowledge that Romans 15, whatsoever things were written aforetime, they were written for our learning, that through patience and hope, or through hope and endurance of the Scriptures, we through uh, something and endurance of the Scriptures, we might find hope, and I've messed that up. But Romans 15, you could go there. This was written for our learning. This was written that we might have hope as we endure with the Scriptures. So, the psalm ends just the same way it begins. No strength, no comfort, no answers, and no friends. And so while this is a dark psalm, again, this is a This is a psalm of faith. There's a couple of things we learn about faith from this psalm that we might not learn in any of the other psalms. At least we see it illustrated here. We see more than any other place in the psalms that faith is not rooted in feelings. Faith is not rooted in your experience. It's not rooted in your circumstance. But faith is rooted in the Word of God. How in the world could this psalmist continue to say, I'm praying to you day and night. I'm coming to you daily with my hands lifted up. I'm pursuing you. I'm seeking help from you. And if we take the psalm for what it says, he's really saying, 
I'm doing all this in spite of the fact that after years and years and years and years of doing this, nothing's changed. Well, that's a tremendous expression of faith, isn't it? We see two applications to this psalm. Number one, we can see very, very clearly how Jesus Christ embodies this psalm in His earthly experience and His earthly ministry. You remember in Isaiah 53, verse 3, a man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief. The word acquainted there means he's the man of sorrows and grief was his friend. He was regularly acquainted with grief. Grief was his constant companion. You'll remember in Mark chapter 14, and you can do some of the other Gospels for this, but Mark chapter 14, verse 34, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to the Lord. And before He goes and gives Himself to prayer, He lets His disciples know that His soul is exceeding sorrowful. It's exceeding sorrowful for what lies ahead. We also see in Mark 14.50 that whenever the uh, religious leaders came out to get Jesus and arrest Jesus, that all of His friends forsook Him. Right? Jesus knew what it was. He knew what it's like. He knows what it's like to be weighed down heavily with sorrow. He knows what it's like to be seemingly abandoned by loved ones, friends, acquaintances. He knows what it's like to be isolated. Mark 15.34, He knows what it's like for God's face to be hidden in a way that you and I will never know. As he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a real sense in which we can read Psalm 88 and get a little more insight into the inward turmoil that Jesus Christ experienced while he was on earth in his earthly ministry. But we don't just leave it there because Psalm 88 was written by a real man. It's not just a foreshadow or a Christophany. One of the things that we learn in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, is that Christ experienced these kinds of... One of the reasons why Christ experienced these kinds of difficulties is so that none of His people would ever have to walk through darkness and only have darkness as a friend. It's it's so that He could identify with us in our suffering. It's so that whenever we have those Psalm 88 experiences, we can be assured that we're not alone. That Christ has been here before we were here. That Hebrews 4, Christ knows how to help me in my time of need. That in my affliction, He's afflicted as well. That He's my companion. And Hebrews 13.5, that He will never, ever leave me or forsake me. So, so despite the way things feel, I'm not alone. Darkness is not my only companion. All my friends have not left me because I have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
And he's walked the same path I've walked. Not only that, but Psalm 88 does leave us an example of faith. It does leave us a, an example to follow in the midst of just consuming, overwhelming darkness. First, in the midst of ongoing troubles and unanswered questions, the psalmist continues to pursue God. And we see that. Verse 1, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before Thee. Verse 9, My eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon Thee. I have stretched out my hands unto Thee. Verse 13, But unto Thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent Thee. Here's the, here's the greater point. In an extended season where relief has been withheld, God is still this man's refuge. He hasn't, he hasn't turned to anything else. He, he hasn't turned to quick fixes. He hasn't turned to worldly methods. He hasn't turned to sinful pleasures. He hasn't turned to unbelief. In the midst of unanswered questions and unending agony, he continues to pursue God and to ask God for help. Secondly, the psalmist recognizes God's hand and His providence and His sovereignty that are involved in the troubles. We mentioned that earlier. Verse 6, Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit in the darkness of the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and Thou hast afflicted me with all Thy waves. Selah. There it's a point that he even takes the time to say, pause and ponder this. Verse um, 8, Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and cannot come forth. And then verses 14 and 15, Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I'm afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. We get a little bit of a, a little bit of a hint here of a, when we put these two together, the fact that he's recognizing God's hand in the trouble, but yet he's continuing to pursue God as his refuge. We get a little bit of a Job 2, 9 and 10 when his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? Job says, shall we not receive good at the hand of God? Shall we not receive evil also? In other words, are we only going to acknowledge God? Are we only going to pursue God? Are we only going to uh, seek the Lord's face when we've received good? Will we not acknowledge that in God's providence, in God's design, in God's purposes that we don't know. In times where God is weaving something that we are just not privy to, can we not acknowledge and be okay with the fact that we receive both good and evil, that is calamities, from the hand of the Lord? 
And then third, in the midst of ongoing troubles, and this is this really incredible. It makes it helps make sense out of these rhetorical questions in verses eleven through twelve. In, in in the midst of ongoing troubles, the psalmist still has a desire to praise God's loving kindness. Can you, I mean, that's that's not normal. That's not natural. Loving kindness there is again, it's the word that we would use for God's mercy, His covenant loyalty. Lord, I've cried out to you. I've, I've asked you for help. I've come to you in my misery. And I'm still holding on to the hope that I can praise you for your unfailing kindness, your unwavering loyalty, your faithfulness, your wondrous works, your righteousness. See, the psalmist still, think about it, he still wants to praise God for his righteousness. That just means he wants to praise God for the fact that he always and only does what's right. Now, how could that exist in the same psalm where he says, why are you hiding your face from me? Why, why have you forsaken me? And so Psalm 88 really is a psalm for those who are walking through dark, prolonged dark seasons in life. We find here, along with what we know about Christ in the New Testament, that these seasons help us not only to identify with the sufferings of Christ, they help us to learn more about what it meant for Him or what it does mean for Him to be our mediator, to be our high priest in the midst of these kinds of difficulties. And then it also, it also distills down what it means for us to walk by faith and not by sight. And so, Psalm 88, probably never going to be a psalm you read at a wedding or at a birthday party or at any other kind of celebration, but it's a psalm that you can live on when you find yourself in a season of life when nothing makes sense and no one understands. Aren't you thankful for that? Let's pray. Father, we again, we thank you for just the uh, uh, the um, just how incredible your word is in the way that it speaks to the realities that we all face in a fallen world. Lord, you give us psalms to where we not just are comfortable in putting our experience into words, but but many times, and Psalm 88 is one of those times, you you supply the words for us that we would have probably never dared to utter as we go through prolonged dark seasons where we just can't see your face. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless us to learn how to approach you the way a child approaches his father in complete innocence, dependence, transparency, and trust. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.